the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brad. I have been, we have been looking forward to cracking open the book of Proverbs with you for years. We uh, have been talking about it in worship planning. Like, we'll do it next year. Let's do it. When are we going to do it? Let's do it next year. I have been just like a calf wanting to kick out of the stall on this. This book is so practical. I think it's the most practical book in the whole Bible. Um, so I really feel like, uh, I hope you will dig into this with us and that you will start reading ahead week in and week out, chapter two for next week, chapter three uh, to come, and then chapter four, and then we're going to launch into topics. So just get into it with us, and whether you're male or female, single or married, children, college students, senior adults, everyone in between, this book is amazingly practical for every single one of us. And I think I would say it's a great time to invite an unchurched friend. Everyone's looking for practical advice on, on some trusted, from some trusted source. So this is a good time to invite an unchurched or unbelieving friend. Uh, we're we're going to be talking about money and relationships, sexuality, work and career path, social justice, personal justice, lying, cheating, stealing, friendship, hospitality, pride, gossip, gluttony, discipline, discretion, humility. I mean, Proverbs just goes to all of that, and it's so incredibly practical. So, that kind of gives you a preview, but it's so much more than practical advice. Like, the book of Proverbs is not practical advice on how to have a successful life. It's really not what it is. Proverbs is about a unifying theme for all of life, the way of wisdom. Let's, let's call it, for the purposes of, of the next few months, for us in our series, The Way of Wisdom. This is God's way to live, which is different than tips for a successful life. Very different. Proverbs is about God's way to live in every sphere of life, nature and art, ethics and politics, family and friendships. So, so wisdom, according to this book and according to the Scriptures, the whole Bible, wisdom is learning how to live skillfully in God's world that He made according to His design. We could even call it, and we'll come back to this def definition throughout the series, 
uh, we could even call it the art and craft of discernment. Like the art because it requires nuance and finesse, and craft because it is practiced with skills and techniques on how to discover God's design for life and then fit into that rather than the way we learn to do it in the world, which is to try to fit the world or God or anything outside of us into our way of doing things, right? Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Well, I'm stealing chapter 3. So this is not a book on etiquette or manners as some see it, though it certainly contains a lot about that. It's about discovering who God is. This book is about, wisdom is about discovering who God is. Because when you gossip about your friend, you didn't just hurt that person. Or you gossip about your coworker, you didn't just hurt that person. You ripped a hole in the moral fabric of God's world. His world. Not my world, not your world. So wisdom is discovering Something about God. God. So, so from the very beginning, let's make sure we lock this in. This is a God-centered reading of Proverbs. We really need to think about it more like that than our tendency towards self-help or success or uh, living your best life now. Okay. So we're going to think of Proverbs in that way. We're going to spend the first few weeks in kind of an orientation mode. Today, chapter 1. Next week, chapter 2. The following week, chapter 3. And then chapter 4, once we finish the first four chapters, we'll, we'll launch into some topics. But we want to kind of learn how to read the book to begin with. So I want to introduce the book by answering three questions about wisdom. Three questions about wisdom. What is it? Why do we need it? And where do we get it? Number one, what is it? What is wisdom? The Bible often does this. Look at verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. Just sort of isolate verses 2 through 5 for a moment in, in, your, in your mind there uh, on the page. We're going to look at 2, 3, 4, and 5. And the Bible often does this. It will define something by sort of teasing out with other descriptive synonyms what it is. That's what happens here with wisdom. So wisdom is defined by a collage of, of other words. Um, one commentator said it's like a rainbow of just beautiful colors that you can see distinctly, and yet they naturally sort of bleed one into another so that any one of these words could be used to describe biblical wisdom. What, what is wisdom? Let me give you four groups of words, four groups. The first group is instruction, instruction or training. Look in verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction. There it is. Instruction in verse 2. Instruction again in verse 3. Uh, the word here is, is um, training with strong accountability, even sternness in some of its uses. So it's like an instructor who knows more than you, and this is a dangerous thing that we're doing, so you better follow his direction, or somebody could get hurt. That's kind of the image here. Uh, instruction is for those who are willing to learn, willing to submit. In other words, instruction 
wisdom is for disciples. Doesn't that sound familiar? Wisdom is for disciples. The second word group is uh, also in verse 2, understanding. You'll see understanding kind of throughout this passage. It's in, it's in verse 2. It's also again in verse 5. Understanding or insight. Uh, the idea is discernment. That's a little bit different. You can start to feel the nuance already. What is wisdom? Wisdom is discernment. Uh, to, see, to see nuance and distinction where others just see a blur. Or to see multiple solutions when others see binary on or off. Answer a fool in his folly. Don't answer a fool in his folly. Proverbs says both. How do you know when? Discernment. Wisdom. There is a time when you should answer a fool in his folly. There's also a time when you should not answer a fool in his folly. The third group of words is prudence or discretion or shrewdness. Verse 4, to give prudence to the simple. Prudence, wisdom, planning, living strategically. It is biblical to plan and live strategically. It is biblical to be wise and anticipate problems, but without getting over-anxious about it when your plan doesn't work out or worried and fretful and over-calculated and over-calculated and over-calculated. Like, wisdom is, is, is understanding how to be strategic. Here's what Proverbs 22, 3 says. A prudent man or woman foresees the, the ambush, foresees evil. The simple walks right into it. You should be thoughtful, intentional, planning, strategic, but that shouldn't become an idol for you. The fourth word group is knowledge. Uh, you can see it in the very first line of verse 2, to know, uh, or verse 4, knowledge, right? Knowledge and discretion. Um, knowledge, learning, it's in verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning. So knowledge here is not simply informational, cognitive, you know, getting stuff. It's not that in the Bible, knowledge has a lot more to do with relationship, discovering who God is, learning who He is, His, exactly what's happening here. So knowledge, verse 4, learning, verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning. Wisdom means listening well. Learning and listening always go. Have you, have you realized this in your own life, that listening and learning go well together? Not listening, not learning, tend to go well together. Long before there was machine learning, I've been fascinated with artificial intelligence. My son is in, in a world right now where he's working, my oldest, and he's doing AI work uh, for podcasts, which is fascinating. Anyway, long before machine learning and artificial intelligence, there was human learning, which was increasing and increasing, and increasing, and accumulated knowledge, right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, 
shame on me. Or as George W. Bush tried it, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me. Ain't gonna fool me again. <laughs> I love that. That was amazing. Yeah, you can fool me again. It's hard to say. You should watch that gaff if you haven't. It's, it'll minister your soul. I love George W. Bush, so that's much respect to him. Um, you should learn from your mistakes. The Bible assumes we will learn from our mistakes. So wisdom in the Bible is a really thick concept. Wisdom, wisdom is a big, thick concept. It means instruction. It means discernment. It means shrewdness, accumulated knowledge, all of which would help us to live skillfully in God's world. Let me add one more layer to this first point. Look at verse 6. We need guidance to understand a proverb. So moving out of verse 5 and into verse 6, the guidance is so that we would understand a proverb, a saying, the words of the wise, their riddles. Those are, that's four ways to describe a proverb. A riddle, a wise saying, a word. If verses 2 through 5 define wisdom, then verse 6 is how you get it. Verse 6 describes the delivery system for wisdom. What's the delivery system for wisdom in this book? The delivery system for wisdom in this book is a thing called a proverb. Uh, a proverb, it's a riddle, it's something you have to wrestle with. And the wrestling with the riddle is the very process by which you start to acquire the wisdom. If you don't wrestle with the riddle, you're probably not going to acquire the wisdom that is in the saying. Let me give you an example. Um, some of you are, is anybody still doing Wordle? Who, how many of you are still doing Wordle? Oh, some faithful Wordles. Okay, still doing Wordles. So, so the reason Wordle, I think, is so successful is that the fun, in, the fun in Wordle is in sorting the options. Like once you solve the puzzle, you're done. It's, it, you know, you're talking to your spouse. Have you done it yet? Can you give me a clue? No, I'm not giving you a clue, Right? I mean, the fun is in sorting all the options and solving the puzzle. That's how a particular proverb works. The fun is in sorting and, and discovering even the absurdity, for example. So Proverbs eleven twenty two. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout. Okay? A gold, beautiful gold ring, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. It's absurd to think of a gold ring in a pig's snout. And you have to wrestle with that proverb and try to figure out what it is that makes this beautiful, image-bearing woman now compared to a nasty, almost useless animal. What is it? Why is the proverb working that way? And as you wrestle with the absurdity of that proverb, you start to acquire wisdom in the process. That's how the proverbs work. Let me give you a short definition, um, or a tight, hopefully a tight definition for what a proverb is. It's a short, poetic, 
thought-provoking saying that conveys a timeless truth. It might not be immediately apparent to you what the truth is that it conveys. You might have to wrestle with it like a gold ring in a pig's snout. But it's there, and the more you wrestle with it, the more you start to acquire the wisdom that God's Word is enabled to convey to you through this particular unique form of truth. A short, poetic, pithy, thought-provoking saying. It's not a command. It's not a guaranteed promise. That's important. It's not a command or a guaranteed promise. Instead, it's a maxim to be tested. It's a truth to be wrestled with. If you don't wrestle with it, you'll never get it. A proverb is like, it's like a jolly rancher, a hard candy. You know, you get excited about it, you open that thing up, I like the green apple one, and you pop it in your mouth. If you bite down on that jolly rancher, as soon as you pop it in your mouth, what happens? It's game over. A text message gets sent to your dentist, and they immediately mark that for your next, and they're going to chastise you, right? No, instead, if you nurse it a little bit and meditate on it, you'll start to get the sweetness. You start to get the insight, and it's going to take some time, and you're going to have to process it, and, and, and you're going to meditate on it and wrestle with it. The point of a proverb, writes Tim Keller, is to awaken us to the reality of life through hard thinking and sustained reflection. Like That's how you get there. You, you get there by really thinking hard, and in that way, it is like hard candy. All right, that's number one. Number two, why do we need it? Look at, kind of step back and expand your view of this chapter and ask yourself that question. Why would you need wisdom? Well, I need wisdom because I don't know stuff. Yes, for sure. Look at verse 10. Why do we need wisdom? Because sin is enticing, and sin is blinding, and sin makes us stupid. It does that over and over and over again in our lives. And and so we need God's wisdom because sin is enticing, verse 10, because temptation is real and because your heart is not neutral. Stop thinking your heart is neutral. Proverbs 20 and verse 9 says, who can say that I've made my own heart pure from sin? No one. Apart from God's wisdom, I don't stand a chance deliberating with the world, the flesh, and the devil. So in verse 10, a father says to his son, and parents say to their children, right, my son, if sinners entice you, verse 10, do not go with them. And then verses 11 through 14 are, are the gang speaking, the gang inviting, the gang enticing. If they say, hey, come with us, come with us, we're going to lie in wait. We're going we're to take somebody down. We're going to ambush the innocent. 
We're going to swallow them up like the grave. We're going to take their stuff. We're going to steal, verse 13, all their precious goods. And you can be part of our gang. We're going to fill our houses with plunder. Jump in with us. We'll get all this money. We'll get rich together. Be part of this club, man. And, and we'll share it, man. We'll share this, all this stuff. We'll share it with you. Are you kidding me? Don't believe that. The gang's not going to share with you. Selfish people don't know how to share. So this father and this mother that you'll meet throughout the book of Proverbs are making an appeal to their children. Don't listen to the gang that's calling you. And here's, here's something you should know about the biblical storyline. The gang is not just on the outside. So the gang is going to hit you. The world's going to hit you. The gang is out there. But there's also a gangster who lives in here. And we know that because the three sinful personalities that Proverbs chapter 1 talks about show up in our own lives. And in fact, Proverbs says, be careful that they don't show up in your own life. Let me give you the three personalities. Look at verse 22. There are three personalities that reveal the gangster who lives inside of each of us. And the personalities are the simple, the fool, and the scoffer. All right, let me just kind of lay out some groundwork, because you're going to see this over and over again in the book of Proverbs, and you're going to want to process who these... So they kind of move from, from bad to worse, right? The simple, verse 22, how long, O simple ones, uh, the scoffers and the fools. Now, verse 22 doesn't put them in this order, but I'm going to give them to you in the bad to worse order. Simple, fool, and scoffer, all right? The simple. Easily enticed, naive, out of touch with reality, gullible, irresponsible, way too easily impressed, intellectually lazy. The simple is addressed throughout, the simple person is addressed throughout the book of Proverbs. Secondly, the fool. Opinionated, wise in his own eyes, rebellious, stubborn, obstinate, unwilling to be corrected, way too overconfident. I guess if you're overconfident, you're way too overconfident. The scoffer, number three, the most sophisticated of the fools. Smug, know-it-all, resists correction, habitually cynical. Have you ever found yourself like in a funk, in a habitually cynical funk? Guess what, you, guess what the Proverbs describes you as at that moment? You're just like a scoffer. A scoffer lives inside of me. 
It's not just the gang that's out there tempting me to live this life apart from God. It's the fool, the simpleton, the scoffer who lives inside of us. So why do we need wisdom? Why do we so desperately need? Why do we desperately need to say, I don't know, but God, you know. I, I, I love your word. I want the wisdom of your word. Why do I need the wisdom of God's word? Because, verse 22 says it so clearly, we love, mark that word, we love the wrong things. How long will you love being this way? How long will you delight? Look, this is a clue. In Proverbs, we're going to discover all the, all the wrong things that we shouldn't be loving. The love and affection and the desires that drive our hearts and souls, they really move us into this mode of simpleton and foolish and scoffing, not living as God intended for us to live. That's why we need wisdom. You need wisdom. Let, let me try to give it to you in one sentence. You need wisdom because apart from God, there's no hope to reorder your affections and desires as He intends. You've tried. You can't. You keep saying to yourself, I'm not going to let that mean so much to me. And, and it keeps coming back. But by God's grace, verse 20, wisdom calls us to God. <laughs> wisdom calls out. Like wisdom becomes really a, almost like an image for the Holy Spirit, um, the representative of God calling out, don't go there. Come back to God. Right? Wisdom cries out, and it's an act of God's grace that you even hear God's word in wisdom. Come back. Don't let the noisy streets of this world convince you that you'll be happy there. Come back, or else I will have to laugh at you like you laughed at God. That's what she says. Ben, when are we going to grow up? And let God give us wisdom and maturity. What is it? Why do we need it? Here's number three. Where do we get it? Where do you get it? Where do you get wisdom? Verse seven. The fear of the Lord. Mark this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise this. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If there's one verse that captures the whole book, it's verse 7. It's, it's in the introduction like this on purpose. It's the whole book distilled down into one verse. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is where this all starts. Now, that sounds like a churchy phrase, right? Churchy expression. Let's unpack it for just a second. What is the fear of the Lord? What would it mean? Well, there's a clue in the structure of the verse itself. The Hebrew poets would write in two lines. 
line A and line B. And line B, the second line, would clarify the first line. So whatever's in that second line helps to understand what's going on in the first line. So look at verse 7 again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge. Second line, fools despise wisdom and instruction. The second line brings clarity to the first. Um, I really like the way Ray Ortland did this in his commentary, so I'm just going to read it to you. So how does the second line help us here? The key word is despise. That's an emotional word. Despise. It's a word of contempt and relational distance. It's the arrogance of being above instruction, too smart for it, too good for it, too busy for it. What then is the fear of the Lord? Well, it's not a cringing dread, oh no, here comes God. It's not that. The fear of the Lord is an openness to Him, an eagerness to please Him, a humility to be instructed by Him. The fear of the Lord is an act of worship and reverence and respect. He goes on to say the fear of the Lord is when we realize I am not the measure of things. God is. This wonderful fear of the Lord is where we begin our journey in wisdom. If you don't come in humility before God and His Word, you can't acquire wisdom. Game over. It's a non-starter. And then he goes on to say, quoting, he quotes C.S. Lewis in one of my favorite paragraphs from Lewis, so I'll, I'll give you Lewis here to close. This is, this is the fear of the Lord. C.S. Lewis writes, in God, in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you don't know God at all. As long as you're proud, you can't know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course when you're looking down, you can't see what's above you. Man, it's so true. So good. So we want to come digging into this book of Proverbs, really on our knees, and with a great sense of humility. I don't, it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, where you are in your life, come to this book and this study with a great sense of humility. And let's ask the Lord to teach us things we've never before known for the next several weeks and months. Will you pray that with me?